1979, the Soviet Union invaded the nation of Afghanistan, marking one of the few actual battles of the Cold War. The insurgents, known as the Mujahideen, were armed by the United States, Pakistan, Iran, China, Saudi Arabia, and the United Kingdom, with hopes of finally being able to fight back against the Soviets' oppressive communist rule. In our film today, a Soviet tank crew is being hunted by a group of Mujahideen rebels, hell-bent on revenge for their village and families. In a secret gem from the 80s that we were introduced to by a fan, this is 1988's The Beast. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, listeners. Welcome to the 120th episode of the Filmgasm podcast. Awesome. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, I, I kind of weird to hear that, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh. And I haven't, I haven't been here in a minute, so I'm also, I haven't been on Filmgasm, so I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Obviously, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Austin Johnson, to dive into a film suggested to us by Filmgasm fan Nick back in October. Sorry it took so long, but we finally checked out your movie, and it fucking rocked. <laughs> Great choice. Hell yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely feel a little bad about how, how, how long it took for us to just, you know, schedule it and figure out an exact time we could do it. We've got a lot of stuff going on all the time with our, you know, with multiple shows happening and just trying to plan stuff and catch things that are happening right now in film. And so when we finally did get around to it, it felt like it it seemed like it found a perfect spot, right? You know, sneak previews is underway. We were three episodes in over there and Oscar Sunday is totally taking on its own life. We felt like, all right, let's, let's do a fan recommendation here. And thank you, Nick. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Uh, Cause it's, it's always fun to, to hear something. Hey, you guys should watch this, let alone talk about it, you know, and, and uh, talk about a movie we haven't seen. And uh, the eighties, a decade that you you adore. Yes, indeed. And I, it, it, for me, I love the 80s so much. I was so shocked that I'd never even heard of this. Like, at least I've heard of a lot of these movies I haven't seen, but this was a complete shot in the dark. I had never heard of this film. I didn't know anything about it. And yeah, I love that we took this, uh, took this plunge here. I could not be more excited to shine a light on this lesser known action thriller, which is what this podcast is all about. Shining a spotlight on the weirder films. Yeah, yeah exactly. And it is so fascinating that neither of us had heard anything about it really. And what I found to be double fascinating was that the same director of Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, we are going to talk about that for sure. <laughs> isn't, isn't that crazy? You know, of course that's a movie that, that you you're very fond of and was in your top um, 10 films of the two thousands. When we did that episode way, way back, we did that like a year ago or so. Um, and I remember you talking about it, you know, so highly and I still haven't gotten around to rewatch it cause I've only seen it once. And now I really want to watch it because it's, it's Kevin Reynolds, the same guy who directed uh, The Beast. So uh, interesting how like that comes back around, right? You know, and that happens so much in film when something you don't know is a part of a life in film that you do know. <laughs> and yeah. and you, you just start adding on to it. And it's, it's kind of beautiful. There's so much about Kevin Reynolds. I didn't know he was behind. Looking into this episode has given me like just so much more knowledge on him. I didn't realize how like really underrated of a filmmaker he is and i'm excited to kind of dig into more of his films but first we got to do the rewind 
Today's Rewind updates our 98th episode on the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> this is uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> Trauma. Trauma, yes. Trauma founder Lloyd Kaufman, who created the original Toxie, has sung the praises of the new movie's script. He's very excited. He said, quote, Macon Blair knows Trauma better than I do. He's seen everything. He's seen the cartoon. He's seen the Halloween special. He's seen everything. And he loves our movies like Troma's War and Terror Firmer. I've read the script and it's better than the original and I leave it to him. If I'm called upon, I'd be happy to jump in. So that bodes incredibly well for Troma purists if Kaufman is very much on board and excited. And I got to say, the more I hear about this, this remake, the more I'm getting a little, uh, little excited myself. <laughs> a little jazzed, yeah. Yeah, getting a little jazzed. You know, uh, of course, this is a huge, huge movie to filmgasm contributor uh, Josh Allred and one of his favorite movies of all time. And that's why we got to do it on the show. And that's why you and I got introduced to trauma and uh, have been exposed to this whole world of movie making, you know, and, and Josh speaks super, super highly of Kaufman. And so if Kaufman's speaking very highly of this, <laughs> this person, I feel like this is, this does bode well um, for everyone involved and all the fans. I can't believe how you know for for me i don't have this connection to trauma you know but i can't believe like what it feels like to hear a guy who's like a god to his fans kaufman saying these things like how exciting that is for it for it to be properly taken care of and you it sounds like you have a true fan at the helm someone who truly appreciates what trauma is doing and that's 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 what the fans want that's what the people who are really all about trauma and and you know consume those films all the time that's that's what they want to hear so it's uber exciting in the horror community uh, and especially in the trauma community it's got to feel like the way we felt when we heard that john carpenter was coming back to do the music for the new halloween because he was exactly so excited about the script exactly <laughs> yeah stuff like that yeah stuff like that when someone is like oh hold on this looks too good for me to not miss you know i want to be a part of it uh and that's how that's that, that's exciting when you're a, a fan of something specific yeah, it looks it's getting a significant budget. It's got like real names behind it. They're putting like they're taking it seriously, which is crazy. And this could end up being something really neat. And uh we're obviously going to do it on the sneak preview when it comes around, but uh I'm psyched. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. Definitely definitely going to do a whole episode and we'll try our best to to you know <clears throat> bring Josh in on that and let him explore what he knows best. Yes, indeed. So I had obviously never heard of The Beast before it was suggested to us back in October. Um, its title fluctuates depending on what yeah. you watch it in. Sometimes it's The Beast of War. Sometimes it's just The Beast. So we're going with the title screen on the film itself, which calls it The Beast. So that's going to be the title we choose for this movie. Oh, yeah. No, I was wicked confused uh, <laughs> when I was looking for it, you know, on my Roku you know, like these fucking remotes, you can just like speak into them and they'll bring stuff up. So, you know, I just searched the beast of war, you know, and at first nothing really came up and I was like, what, you know, and I realized I looked it up online, you know, I just done the simple Wikipedia page and I was like, oh, it's just the beast. What the hell? Why? What are these two other words that are just attached to it? And, and I always find that to be fascinating because it is not a not a foreign film with a totally different title. <laughs> it's, it's just the beast or the beast of war. Uh, and I found that to be confusing until 
I just started looking for 1988 Kevin Reynolds and then, <laughs> and, and then it popped up on, on Amazon prime, which is where you can watch it right now for free. If you are a prime member, so go ahead and check this out. Cause it's uh, definitely one of those random movies that I, I guarantee you haven't heard of <laughs> uh, even on, even on letterbox. There's so few reviews reviews for this movie. It's, it's kind of insane. Cause normally if you find some cult movie, there's still like a bunch of reviews, people who have found it at least thousands. This one, it's like less than a thousand. It's amazing. So in every movie community, I just, I, I don't see, see a lot of people talking about this movie. And then you, you see the budget that it had. It was decent. And then you see in the box office, it made less than a million dollars. And you just, Oh, okay. I see. There was no word of mouth. There was no yeah. serious fandom. The, the, the cult status that it has is small. Well, this was a film made like, it sympath it made you sympathize with Soviets during like the Cold War, you know, during the Reagan administration. So I get why people were like, "Fuck this," you know, in America and overseas, because it's it took it takes a very controversial stance on the uh, Soviet uh, invasion of Afghanistan, and um, I thought that was smart. I like when things you know take a brave stance, but um, oddly enough, that title mix up brought me down a really weird rabbit hole of alternate titles of American movies in other countries and how okay lost in translation so easily. And there were some, some bizarre ones. My favorite one was a translation, a, I think a Danish translation of die hard with a vengeance. And the Danish version of this is die hard, mega hard. <laughs> I love how honest that that is. So, yeah, look those up. Just <laughs> ba- poorly translated American movies. <laughs> Fantastic. Mega, mega hard. <laughs> like it's a yeah. This is this is the this is the Bruce Willis movie that that went to the porno route. <laughs> God damn it! Die Hard Five, like a rock. Yeah. I would, yeah. <laughs> um, so. The Beast is based on a stage play called Nanawate, written by William Master Simone after he witnessed a team of Mujahideen capture and execute a Soviet tank crew in 1986. He would also write the screenplay for the film. That is fucking crazy. So the screenwriter witnessed this. He witnessed Afghan rebels capture and execute a Soviet tank crew, and he immediately thought, I need to write a story about this. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think specifically, yeah, when when we're talking about this time period, this war, and talking about the Afghans, I think everything I've read is, um, you know, it's a relentless side, a very relentless side, and by by kind of all accounts. And I I I thought this movie was so interesting because it like played with that but then you know humanized them in in a, in a way that you rarely see in um, american war films yeah um so i thought it was uber fascinating and it made the movie kind of gray and not so much um this is right or this is wrong or this side won this side lost this or that it's just just a very interesting look at some happenings within a war and 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 i, I really like that i i've i've read things you know when i told my older brother, Jeremy, we're 
we were doing this film and he's like, Oh, I didn't know much about it. And he was, he was like, you know, that, that war is supposed to be brutal. Like it's supposed to be the equivalent of, you know, for, for, for us, from our perspective, it's like the equivalent of the, you know, Vietnam war, just intense, fucking gritty, nasty, you know, both sides doing things that are not cool. You know what I mean? And just taking it, going past some, some lines. Yeah. And that's what I've read about this war, you know, about what we're talking about here, especially with these two specific sides that we're talking about in this movie, the Afghans and the Russians. And I just, I, I think that was the most intriguing part of the whole movie was like, Whoa, this is what I'm watching. Okay. You know, fucking a, I haven't really seen anything like this. So I haven't seen anything from this perspective. Um, there, there's some stuff we'll get to that I wish was, was a little different from as far as just the way it was made. But, um, yeah, man, I, I, I love the idea. And for, for Mr. William to go through this and, you know, put it into a film, make it, you know, make it what it is and have these actors, whatever's, you know, <clears throat> dramatized and whatnot, it, either, either way, the guy processed this and put it on paper and then put it on a screen. It's amazing. That's amazing. That's, that's, that's like the beauty of filmmaking is, you know, these folks who go through things and people who go through things, you know, directors and writers, they interpret life for us on the big screen. And that is awesome. And so when you take it that seriously and you do a movie like this, hats off to you, you know, hats off to uh, Kevin Reynolds and William uh, doing what they got to do for this movie. How do you say his last name? Um, I'm assuming it's Mastro Simone, but I can't. Yeah. Confirm that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to call him Will. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, I love what you're saying about how they capture the uh, the grayness and the you know immorality of war. Yeah, it, yeah, it's the best thing a war movie can do is capture both perspectives and really make you understand both sides of a war. And that's not always easy, you know. Everybody thinks they're the hero in a war, and it's hard to in a war like this, especially one that like a lot of Americans, frankly, aren't that familiar with because it doesn't involve them. Uh, Nobody, I don't think they know a lot about this. So all they know, like all I knew is this was the war that led to the creation of the Taliban, which we all know where that went. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how they were the ones terrorized and they were the ones forced to defend their homeland. And they were the ones who were hellbent on vengeance for a very good reason. That's crazy to me. And then, you know, the Russians, we've always hated the Russians. <laughs> Yeah, just, but just I, like just uh, just on paper, that's just like what it is. Uh, yeah, but even in this film, you sympathize with them. You know, they don't know why they're here. They just know, you know, loyalty to country. That's all that matters. And when that comes into doubt, you're a pariah. You're the bad guy now when you doubt country. And I love how it plays with that. So there's so much interest, so much interesting stuff happening on both sides of this that it's really like impossible to be bored at any moment. It's really cool. Yeah. That's, and that's the main thing, right? Is you're trying to be entertained by a, by a film and <clears throat> this, this certainly does it. And we both uh, have a, you know, take a liking to, to history. I, I think if you are a massive, massive movie fan, you just kind of do like history. It's just kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and, and, you know, this is an important piece of perspective when it comes to wanting all of those sides of perspective when you're talking about war and talking about the past and these sorts of things. Now, now the, the grayness of, of, you know, 
like you said, the, the morality of war and like what's right and what's wrong and loyalty and all these things that that's it. That's all I want out of, out of these kind this genre war movies. That's what I want. That's what I feel like we deserve as fans is that perspective. It shouldn't be some gun ho, like I'll use an example, like um, one that was more recent that I thought was like, just totally went the wrong direction. a few times it was American sniper. It's like, what are we, what are we doing here? <laughs> this is, this is falsifying and kind of neglecting a whole, whole side of people, a whole culture. You're just acting like they're, they're bad. They're bad. No, they're all bad. Doesn't matter. And I, I can't stand that, man. I can't stand when, you know, the propaganda of war films, when, when these movies try to manipulate and teach you how to believe about another country, another nation, another culture, whatever it is. I hate that more, like more than anything, you know? Yeah is when a movie not only falsifies something, but really tries to make you take a side and pushes yeah. you one way or the other. Uh, of course, American war movies have done this like just time and time again. I think you and I get really excited when we finally do see something pure and, and, and fair. See, that's why I loved Lone Survivor because yeah. it did that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Lone Survivor is a more recent one. That's actually, yes, I think is actually good. And, and they did some things technically there. Like uh, that's just, some of the stuff with the, the actual weaponry in that movie is like, whoa. I mean, it's very realistic, that film. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. It's just the first war movie we've done on this podcast. <sighs> to my knowledge, yeah. I mean, you know, we've talked about some stuff, <clears throat> I think, on like Oscar Sunday, like Apocalypse Now and, and whatnot. But I, I, I don't think we've ever just straight up covered a, you know, war movie on Filmgasm. Ah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I just realized. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we did. We did. You know, we didn't do animated for a long time. You know, and shit happens when when you're when you're looking at a, a a genre as broad as horror, and then for us, we've we've opened up to all genre films now. Yeah, you know, it's just, there, there's so much out there. It is. Yeah, this is an endless project. <laughs> yes, which is why we which is why we're doing it, and we'll be around forever. <laughs> yes, indeed. So the Beast was directed by Kevin Reynolds. It was only his second film after 1985's Fandango. He would go on to direct Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, uh, Waterworld, 187, and my personal favorite, The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, he also did the Hatfields and McCoys uh, miniseries. Like, this dude has been under the radar since the 80s. And I just don't get why people don't know him well enough. The Count of Monte Cristo is such a fucking masterpiece. I don't understand why... It's not like so celebrated. It should be. And this guy should be talked about. I mean, I have my own issues with Robin Hood and Waterworld. I haven't seen yet, but I've heard stories. Yeah. But it, it's, it's prime pickings for film guys. Holy shit. But I think that's more of a Costner problem than anything else. <clears throat> yeah. I, I've never really been a big fan of Costner's at all. Uh, but, but you do, you bring up such a great point about Reynolds that he's like clearly that's a run, you know, from 85 to 02, that's worth the conversation. And there's so many filmmakers that we have found that just get lost in the cracks. Um, and it's sucks, but it's, it's how it is because there, there, there are guys uh, here in like, you know, the American conversation about movies that you're just, they're never going to be out of the conversation. You know, the, current guys like you know the paul thomas anderson's the david finchers the quentin tarantino's the spike lee's all those you know, those cats and you go back steven spielberg keep going whatever 
those guys are always going to be at the top of the conversation and nobody ever wants to go past that. <laughs> you know, and myself included, I've been guilty of always shouting out these people and the same people all the time and these same filmmakers who are all great and all have done so much in their own right to be where they're at made, you know, multiple awesome movies. Some, some guys have made multiple masterpieces, but there, there's, there's filmmakers like, like a Kevin Reynolds who just because he hasn't contributed 10 <laughs> great movies doesn't mean he shouldn't be in a conversation or be brought up. Um, someone who I talked about on sneak preview that I, I really do think should be in that kind of American conversation is Kelly Reichardt, right? You know, is, is a woman who's just kind of just dominated to me for almost 25 years or I guess a little over 25 years now, if you're counting her debut river of grass, like I think she's one of the most talented American filmmakers during that whole time. And, you know, I want to have conversations like this about, you know, obviously Kevin Reynolds during the nineties, holy shit leading up to 2002, your favorite. I like looking at these kind of directors and being, you know, holy shit. There's, there's so many different levels to this, you know, so, so many. And I'm, I'm very keen on, like you said, seeing Waterworld. And I really, now I really, really can't wait to uh, rewatch Monte Cristo. Well, if I look at what he's, if I look at just three of his films, The Beast, Robin Hood, and Count of Monte Cristo, Kevin Reynolds seems to be the secret king of revenge thrillers. Oh, no kidding. Because <laughs> all of those, all three of those films are, you know, heavy on revenge. They're essential to the plot. This guy is so good at that. He's so good at satisfying revenge stories. <clears throat> yeah, I just I want him to get more work. I really do. Yeah, well, what's what's he done like most recently? Risen, a film with Joseph Fine from a few years ago about the uh, resurrection of Christ. Holy shit. He's from fucking San Antonio, Texas. No shit, really? That's where he was born anyway. What the Fuck hell? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, cuz he um uh, his parents were in the Air Force, or his dad was in the Air Force. Makes sense, because San Antonio is heavy on uh, military. We got, I, we got some, we have some bases here. So, I fucking love this guy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah, right here. He was born 1952. Jan- How about this? January 17th, <laughs> just, just a few days ago, uh, 1952, San Antonio, Texas. How about this? This is amazing. I'm just now finding out about all this shit. This is crazy. Kevin Reynolds. And, Fandango, that would be his his directorial debut. I want to see that. We, I have that. I have Fandango. Fuck yeah. Have you seen it? I have not. I didn't know it was dude. Kevin Reynolds. He wrote it too. <laughs> yeah, dude, let's see it. Uh, so 1985, Fandango. What's this about? Comedy, drama. It's got a 6.8 on IMDb. Okay, I can play with that. Uh, can rent on Prime for $2.99. Stars Kevin Costner, Judd Nelson, Sam Robards. What the fuck? i'm in i'm in this is awesome yeah discovering a new director thank you nick (laughs) yeah yeah this is really yeah comes all back to back to nick and his recommendation because we wouldn't we wouldn't have found all this out (laughs) thank you beautiful beautiful ah let's talk a bit about the cast um george dezunza Stars as Commander Descal, the psychotically loyal-to-country tank crew leader. Dezunza has also appeared in such films as The Deer Hunter, Crimson Tide, Basic Instinct, Dangerous Minds, Above Suspicion, and he voiced Daily Planet editor Perry White on Superman the Animated Series. So he's had a hell of a career. 
uh, I recognized him. I didn't know how, and it was it was Superman. I knew that voice. <laughs> Perry White. That's it. Yeah, yeah. That's, Great that's Caesar's the... ghost. <laughs> what you, what'd you think of him in this? It's fucking crazy. He's such an evil piece of shit. <laughs> You're tankers. Oh, get back in the tank. Like when he's telling them to get off the helicopter, he's like, why can't oh. we fucking go home? Like that whole bit is so good. Because you're oh. tankers. Yeah. Tank boy. I know you're in there, tank boy. God damn. Oh, man. So good. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah. I, yeah. I thought he was fantastic. Just a really unlikable piece of shit. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. This is, this is, this is like the idea we have for the Russians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, like the stereotypical. Yeah. Just like step on your throat. Don't care about anybody. Like, yeah, yeah, we don't need to drink water. Let's keep moving. You know that kind of that kind of guy. Just like unrealistically harsh. <laughs> kind of like, kind of like a Coach Boone in um, Remember the Titans. Denzel Washington. It's like, dude, you're you're not letting these nineteen, you know, eight or sorry, they're high schoolers, seventeen, eighteen year old kids drink water. <laughs> Calm down. You're a fucking football coach. <laughs> that's that's how that's how our boy he is here uh, in in the Beast. Just. Not a, not a great leader. <laughs> no, not at all. It's unbelievable. He's so, you know, he's he's Ahab. And, you know, mm-hmm. Ahab in the white whale, straight up. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Jason Patrick plays our hero, tank driver Konstantin Kovarchenko. Jason Patrick has appeared in such films as The Lost Boys, Sleepers, Speed 2 Cruise Control, The Alamo, In the Valley of Ella, and The Losers. And he also appeared in the short-lived mystery series Wayward Pines. And he's one of those guys who, like, you know the name, but you you don't know the face. No matter how many times you've seen the movie, like, I can never picture Jason Patrick. I've seen most of those movies, and I, I don't... Yeah. He, he, he definitely <laughs> falls under a certain category, kind of like, um, like a John C. McGinley type, you know, just like one of those guys who's just there. Like kind of all the time, you know, kind of in yeah. your life, in your movie life forever. But you don't quite know exactly, yeah, who who it is, you know, what he's all about. <laughs> and, and and even sometimes you can't pinpoint the movies he's in. You're like, ah, <laughs> I love that. I, there's so many actors like that, that uh, I think as I get older, I'm really trying to not do that anymore. Not have any of those guys. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And this next guy <laughs> is one of those whose name I need to remember. Stephen Bauer plays Contage. Yes, <laughs> yes I, I knew. <laughs> the leader of the Rebels. Bauer has had a very cool career, appearing in such films as Scarface, Raising mm-hmm. Kane, Primal Fear, Traffic, and my personal favorite, he portrayed cartel boss Don Eladio Fuente on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. I lost my shit when I looked him up in the cast. I'm like, holy shit, that's Eladio. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I remember watching Breaking Bad and being like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Is that the fucker from Scarface? <laughs> you know, and then to have that moment happen sort of again, but but further back, you know, because before, you know, it was, I, I seen Scarface from 83, and then I watched Breaking Bad from the 2000s, you know, and I'm like, wait a minute. But this this time it was, I have him as Don Eladio on my mind as the older guy who's kind of overweight, and then, no, now I'm back to, to younger... <laughs> to to 80s power and he he has a way obviously of looking like he's from everywhere anywhere and everywhere i i had no i 
you know, had I not known that it was Steve Bauer, had I just watched this film and been like, oh, who is that? I would have, I wouldn't have known that he, you know, where he's from or what he's about. He really pulls this character off. He really does. And I, and I think he, he outshines uh, these English speaking actors big time because these English speaking actors aren't even trying to do Russian accents. <laughs> They're just speaking normal. You know, you got bald, you got one of the Baldwins just talking like he's like, he talks in interviews. Jason Patrick's not even trying uh, this, this, this Bauer performance is the best performance in the movie for me. It is straight up. And I did watch it, not realizing who he was. It took like, is the end. And then the research for the show where I looked into him and I'm like, holy shit, that's a lot of you. You can't tell he's a chameleon. It really, no, is you can't, you, you really can't. Yeah. Oh, and I do agree that the, the Mujahid, uh, Mujahideen do a much better job. But then again, I feel like if these Americans were doing like shitty Russian accents, I feel like it would have ruined the movie. It could, it can, it, it couldn't can. And I, I also, you know, there's, I have no real place to like throw stones. Like one of my favorite movies of the past of the 2010s is uh, girl with the dragon tattoo, right? David Fincher and Daniel Craig doesn't try for one second to do a Swedish accent. Not one goddamn second. Rooney Mara was trying the whole movie. You know, I think she, I, I think she has an argument to have been awarded the Oscar that year. But like Daniel, my dude, James Bond, try, <laughs> you know, and, and you're right. It definitely can backfire, especially Russian. Oh man. <laughs> and especially if you're, you're, you're in war, you know? Yeah. So I understand that fundamental like decision. I just, I, it, at times I was like, ah, what movie am I watching or, or what perspective am I watching? Because you want that Russian perspective, yeah. you know? And that's why you and I are like such huge, huge fans of like Inglorious Bastards because they're using all the different languages. We, we we're suckers for that. The biggest offender of like what happened to the Beast is 2001's Enemy at the Gates. Mm. That movie tries less than any movie ever at accents because you've got every Russian in that movie is played by a Brit, and it's, it takes it's about the Battle of Stalingrad, and you've got. The commander is Bob Hoskins yeah. walking up and be like, like, you're Russian, mate. What the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. it's so stupid. It's so obvious. <laughs> I couldn't, I was laughing the whole time. I couldn't take that movie seriously for no, a second. No. Oh my God. And then the German sniper is Ed Harris. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Just, I've, I'm always going to be in favor of the decisions where you, you, you go that extra mile, you know, for, for, for these different nations. It's hard. It's hard. Well, it's weird that they went the extra mile for the Mujahideen and then just didn't for the Russians. <laughs> yeah. They're like, Hey, these are the actors we got. Let's just, eh. I don't think Baldwin can do it. Let's just, <laughs> the best they could get is Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> Scratch yeah, that. You're, you're not hiring dialect coaches. <laughs> nah, no, no, no. <laughs> oh man. That's fucking I love great. it. So Stephen Baldwin of the Baldwin Brothers plays Golikov, the weak tank gunner. Uh, Baldwin has appeared in such films as The Usual Suspects, Biodome, Born on the Fourth of July, Half-Baked, and uh, The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. So, uh, I don't know. It looked like he was going somewhere and then just Viva Rock Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. There's only, you know... Of the Baldwins, I think everybody has the same favorite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty, pr- 
pretty just like understood at this point. And what is the, what is the ranking? Because it's one and then there's a huge drop off. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Steven is constantly saying like, Oh, well, at least I'm not Billy or Billy is constantly saying, at least I'm not Steven. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Which one is which, um, what, what I think what I've seen, not Steven, uh, will on was, uh, the apprentice. He was on that show, with, which is with Donald Trump. Right. And so that was back, that was back in the day. So how about that? <laughs> Donald Trump and, and William Baldwin on the same show. I wonder what those guys are doing now. <laughs> I know one of them's out of a job. Yeah. I heard, I heard, um, I heard he's up for hire these days. Yeah. Yeah. I doubt it. <laughs> um, so d- next up we have Don Harvey who plays hot-headed Kaminsky. And this dude has been popping up in films for decades. Uh, some of his films include Casualties of War, Taken 3, The Untouchables, Eight Men Out, Die Hard 2, Hudson Hawk, The Thin Red Line, Public Enemies, and Gangster Squad. And that's just name and a few. He also had the recurring role of Danny Flanagan on The Deuce, and he's appeared in two episodes of Better Call Saul as Jeff. So... This guy, like another dude who I like, I totally recognize, but couldn't place. And yeah, he's just been everywhere. Cool. Yeah. You know, you know, this particular performance for, I don't know what, maybe you can help me here. Reminded me of Bill Paxton and aliens. I don't know why. Yeah, totally. Cause it's, you know, it's a dude who's clearly in over his head and is un- and mentally unwinding. And I guess that's it. Yeah. He's kind of like, he's kind of dumb. He's kind of dumb, right? Yeah. He's an idiot. He's the guy drinking brake fluid. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, he's doing anything to just pass time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, man. He's just I, like, yeah, you just put some fruit in here. You leave it out in the sun. It makes, gives a good kick. <laughs> gives you a good kick. And that's, that's that, that's that shit that would have, would have been real, like would have made, would have been kind of intimidating had it been a Russian accent. Like this guy's just fucking I'm just downing the shit that's like poisonous because I want to buzz bitch. You know, <laughs> you know, like that, that's, in, that's intense. It's like a guy eating screws, like, you know, like, but when this guy's doing it and it's just this kind of dumb American, you know, you're like, ah, it doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. You know, Russia is a country where beer is considered not alcoholic enough to be considered a like, alcoholic beverage It's listed as like a soda. Yeah. <laughs> that's the kind of world these guys come from. So yeah, with a Russian accent, with a good Russian accent, that would have been fucking scary to hear, but instead it just makes it look like a fucking dolt. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Oh man. But he's, he's perfect, right? He, he's like the guy who you could throw into any adventure war movie. And like this guy can fit in. He's going to make sense. He looks good. Just kind of like staring at stuff, smoking a cigarette, like, uh, you know, it's just like war. He's just like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and he's confused and lost and like literally only knows loyalty and just kind of walks around aimlessly listening to whatever this bullshit, you know, captain tells him to do. Ugh, crazy. Indian actor Kabir Betty plays Kantaj's uncle Akbar. And he's been in quite a lot of Indian productions with over 127 credits, but his biggest claim to fame in the West is as Bond villain Gobinda in 1983's Octopussy. And another thing I didn't realize till I looked in the credits, I'm like, that's fucking Gobinda. I remember that guy. 
And uh, Octopussy is one of Roger Moore's later entries. Uh, it's not great. Uh, it's not terrible. It's, you know, a disgraced Soviet colonel or general, Soviet officer, and a uh, exiled Indian prince team up to nuke the Iron Curtain so that the Soviets can take over Europe. And there's a circus involved and a Fabergé egg scandal. It goes pretty much all over the place. But um, the finale sees Bond and this guy Gobinda fighting hand-to-hand combat on top of an airplane that's in the sky. So that was pretty fucking crazy. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. They tried to make him kind of like Oddjob from Goldfinger. Like he has the scene, you know, Oddjob has a scene where he crushes a golf ball with his bare hands. So like, I'm strong. Gobinda does that with a pair of dice. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, it's not the most culturally sensitive uh, Bond film. You can probably tell that from the title alone. Yeah, yeah. They weren't really... <laughs> At that time, they weren't. That's not what they were going for. No, no, it, it took quite a while for that to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, character actor Eric Avari plays Samad, the Afghan turncoat who has joined the Soviets, and another guy who I've recognized for years. Uh, he's appeared in such films as Independence Day, Stargate, The Planet of the Apes remake, Daredevil, and oddly enough, last week's podcast topic, The Mummy. <laughs> yes. So cool. Yeah, he's a guy, another guy who looks like he's from anywhere, plays a lot of different cultures, plays Indians, Greeks, Brits. Like, he's just all over the map, and he always kills it. I think this guy's awesome. Yeah, he's born in India and just like a total chameleon character actor, and if you see his face, you just, you're going to recognize him. You definitely, like you said, you, you name some of the films, and he's he's been, yeah, all over the map. I, I love that, that he was in The Mummy. Uh, just You guys got to do that last week, and it's a really cool episode, and I know a special movie for you. Um, pretty, pretty wild IMDb page for for Eric Avari. I just I, I encourage people to go look at it because it's very, very long. All the weirdo connections we've been randomly getting between all the films we've been doing on all of our podcasts. This whole thing's turning into one big game of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon is is what the uh, filmgasm is going to change its name to. <laughs> It's crazy. It's like every movie we do has some like little tiny connection to last week that we don't even plan. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so the Beast has an IMDb score of 7.3. Very respectable. However, it does not have a Rotten Tomatoes score, which is really odd. Almost everything has a Rotten Tomatoes score. Um, it does have an audience score of 85%. So good, good reviews pretty much all around. Um, it grossed only $161,000 on a budget of $8 million. So unbelievable bomb. Uh, yeah, he, I mean, huge. I don't know how uh, Kevin Reynolds got the job to do anything else afterwards, honestly. Uh, that is that is bad. That is, you know, trying to make a $8 million movie, you know, that'd be like making Little Miss Sunshine now, you know, or, you know, <laughs> just not making a fucking dime, you know, that's, that's, that's now obviously not what you want and can like ruin your career. So whatever happened, I'm not sure. And maybe one day, you know, I will find out at some point, something must've happened because he was given another chance and he, he, you know, rejuvenates his entire career with with uh, Robin Hood and then does Waterworld so very curious how, how that all worked because there's there's a gap there where yeah you'd, you'd be very unsure about Kevin Reynolds career there for a minute 
it is odd. I mean, to bomb this hard and then to be put on a big budget, like surefire adventure hit like Robin Hood. Maybe Kevin Costner went to bat for him. Maybe he was a fan of the beast and he's like, I want that guy. That could be what happened. Yeah, very, very much so. Or, um, you know, and maybe, <clears throat> maybe Fandango did something and people were like, oh, okay, this you know isn't, what? you know, the beast isn't the real numbers. And I read something in Kevin Reynolds uh, trivia that might explain this. So, okay. Beautiful. Yeah. He helped Kevin Costner direct the Buffalo stampede sequence and dances with wolves. So they were buddies. Oh, well, there you go. Yep. Kevin I, Costner could basically say whatever he wanted during the nineties and it was going to happen. So yeah. He just couldn't say it with a British accent as we saw with Robin Hood. <laughs> no, no, that didn't matter uh, for Kevin, for old Kevin, Co- Kevin Costner, another guy who just didn't ever have to try to do anything other than his own normal, boring voice. You know, like what's, what's up with that <laughs> guys. There's a lot of guys who don't get, get away with that these days. They, they would get, you know, like, like Rami Malek didn't even sing and he got annihilated by people, you know, uh, Bradley Cooper did sing and people annihilated him because his voice wasn't good enough. You know, like you can't get away with this shit anymore. <laughs> you, can't get, <laughs> you simply can't. Kevin Costner would not, I, I just don't think he'd be uh, a star like he was when he first started out back in, back in that, during that era when f- folks just weren't paying attention as much. <laughs> well, he clearly has him. He's been typecast as like the coach. With a drinking problem. <laughs> he's been draft, that like draft day. Yeah. Like six Ugh. different movies. He's played the drunk coach who's tired of it, but is going to give it one last shot. Yeah. And, and, then, and then, you know, there, there's, oh, but he's really good in Yellowstone. Uh, that's TV. So that's a whole different realm, whole different world. His movie career is not for me. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah, I could go all day on how much I just don't really care for Kevin Costner. Even, we're not just saying that. We've seen him. We've seen them. <laughs> yeah. I've, I sat through Dances with Wolves. And I, I phrased that deliberately. I sat through it. it it's a three-hour, self-indulgent, boring haul that somehow beat one of the greatest American films of all time at the Oscars. I'll never let anyone live that down. I'm going to bring that up as often as I can. Oh, it's, it's you know, I would say that the, those back-to-back years are, are the two, possibly the two worst decisions of all time to deny do the right thing and goodfellas back-to-back years are you <laughs> fucking batshit crazy you know <laughs> stupid really stupid <laughs> oh. so um despite all this you know massive bomb uh not very well known it has the beast has survived as an underground cult favorite that some people have discovered and then passed on to other people it's a word of mouth movie and that's exactly how we found out about it and that's exactly how I'm going to keep telling people, hey, you should check this out, especially people who like war movies. You know, I've got a, I've got a buddy, his name's Kelly, and this, that's, that is his genre, you know, is, is war movies. And I, I immediately was like, dude, check it out. It's on Prime. Like, this is, and he's like, okay, yeah. He doesn't really watch a whole lot of stuff. So I, I feel like this has a specific place to live and breathe right now, right now. Yeah. I hope people check out this podcast and then learn about this movie and go check it out. I would love to see this have a Rotten Tomatoes score eventually. Just for yes. enough people reviewing it on that website. Yes. It, yeah, it literally, it literally just needs more reviews and more opinions <laughs> for, yeah. for, for it to be a legitimate, uh, yeah, like documented film with the Rotten Tomatoes. Yes. All right. So with that, let's talk a bit about some highlights from the film. That uh, Yes. So when I first saw that, when I first started watching it, I thought it was very weird that I was rooting for the Taliban. 
where we see the Soviets just massacre their village with this tank. And then, you know, the Khan understandably wanting revenge. You know, they killed my whole family. I want them dead. Relatable. We've seen that in so many different movies, but never quite from this perspective. Uh, and uh, how about that scene where they just crushed the rebel to death with the tank? Holy shit. That was one of the most brutal tor- torture scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Like, God damn. Yeah, and you know this is this is coming from coming from a couple guys who 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 have seen Itchy the Killer. So <laughs> we've got yeah, you know, we've got credentials to back this up. Like this is as yeah, 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 man. There's a level of, of realism to it that makes it makes it scarier, makes it more brutal. And a, a you know, a good war film is going to embrace that stuff as as dark and hard that it, as hard as that is to say. It's going to embrace those torturous moments those kind of primal moments you know where a, a man makes a decision to take down another man you know in in the heat of battle and that shit's like you know mesmerizing like you can't look away you're watch you're watching evil you know you're watching evil you're watching darkness at at, at war but you can't look away when it's you know on screen because this is stuff this is stuff you don't you don't see you know that's why war movies are so can be so popular. This is stuff that happens all the time that we don't see. You know, I think a lot of pe- a lot of people like to get a little insight on that, and um, which is why I think this movie, yeah, again, has has a serious place. Feet first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I um, obviously would want to go head first because then I'd be able to die right away. That that is a. Uh, you know, having your having just like your legs or, or feet crushed is like one of the, my worst fears. So for that to happen right as I'm about to die, I, I, uh, yeah, I think I'm good. I, <laughs> I don't think I want any part of of, uh, of either of these sides, man. <laughs> this is this is a this is a situation where I run, I run, and if they shoot me, they shoot me. I I couldn't be in this spot, man. On either side, this is brutality. Straight up, man. Straight up. Uh, yeah. And then I, it's interesting how the Khan never finds out it was Constantine who did that, mm-hmm. like to his own brother. He never finds that out. They that's become- part of the, that's that's part of the thing, right? That's part of the the grayness of it. Is like we have this character, yeah, who right away we're like, oh fuck that guy, you know. And then over over time, we he kind of wins us over. And then the fact that he's like, no, I want to take them down. Like, yes, I will help you take them down. You know, like you said, it becomes a full-on revenge story, and somehow we're on that guy's side. What? You know? Yeah. But he, but but in the moments of battle, he he like wakes up. He like wakes up and is like, "Oh my lord!" You know, I, th- these fuckers never cared about me. No, especially you know how quickly they turn on him and how brutally they try to kill him. They just you know leave him for dead with a grenade under his head. So if he even like moves, he's gonna blow up. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Brutal. So, uh, the beginning of this film reminded me a lot of this uh, this 1981 film called Southern Comfort. Have you ever seen that? I have not. I have not. I've heard. I've heard quite a bit about it, though. Yeah, Keith Carradine, Powers Booth, Fred Ward, just crazy movie about these uh, National Guardsmen doing a training exercise in the Louisiana Bayou, and they accidentally kill a local, and they you know, dump his body and just forget it. 
but the locals do not forget it. And they start hunting down these guardsmen in their swamp. And it's fucking crazy. Oh. It's one of the best, like, super tense, unpredictable action thrillers I've ever seen. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> and um hell yes. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of that, the like the kind of grittiness and the the way you kind of feel both sides of things. It's I could see some influence because the Southern Comfort mm-hmm. came out seven years before this did. Yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> cool. That's move. That's a movie I would love to do on this show. Southern Comfort. Oh, yes, Dude. please. Cool, yes, please. Cool. I, 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 I love <clears throat> those those connections too, where you just see influence and inspiration. So yeah, definitely. Fuck yeah. Uh, I thought it was really fucked up how the Russians would poison watering holes. I mean, makes total well, but sense. That, but that was genius how it came back around to bite them. Genius. The helicopter, everyone probably, did. Probably my favorite touch in the screenplay, in the, in the, in the story, was, was that. I thought that was remarkable. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, there's, of course, the scene where Commander tells Constantine to kill Samad. And he says no. And, the, and Commander's like, that's disobeying a direct order. They'll hang you for that. And he's like, well, then they'll hang me. I'm not doing it. And the the way he the commander takes out Samad is so fucking cruel and cold. And Samad knows it's coming. It ugh, that that scene just was so unflinchingly brutal, and uh, really kind of set the tone for the rest of the film. Because that that after that, it does not hold back on anything. It just keeps no. going. For sure. And then, and then something that I like to highlight, a technical thing from Mark Isham, who's the composer of this, this like thoroughly underrated score in this movie. It, it's like the Uncut Gem sound uh, score. It's like weird synthesizers and guitars happening sometimes. Yeah. Am I watching Pink Floyd videos? And, and Mark Isham, yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark Isham is a the guy behind the music in The Hitcher, Point Break, Of Mice and Men, Warrior, Nell, Blade, Crash, The Lucky One. Eef, just this Fuck. wild, wild <laughs> filmography. Has over 100 credits for, for composing in film and TV. Just a titan. So that was something that like just jumped out at me right away. I was like, oh, I'm in. You know, because it was this, uh, you're looking at the, Af, you know, these like crazy landscapes, right? In, in Afghanistan. And with this music behind it is so unsettling, so unsettling. Yeah. And I think maybe it doesn't hit for everybody, but, but for me, that, that particular like choice, that decision to have the kind of electric guitar synthesizer stuff going on, I thought that matched up so interestingly with, with the cinematography and the directing. It's like you're watching Ronald Reagan's eighties pop punk nightmare. (laughs) That's a great way of putting it. crazy it is yeah the score was so the juxtaposition of this like poppy american music and then just this brutal russian death is really brilliant understated as hell and yeah i think if they you know if they tried to do like a traditional war movie score like somber just wouldn't have hit the tone correctly but this really isham knew what he was doing (laughs) it it, well it sets it it sets it apart it sets it apart from what you're used to yeah when you watch you know platoon and whatever, you know, whatever it may be, just these kind of, those scores that are, you know, they're like run in the mill, you know, war movie scores that are, yeah, like you said, there's, there's a lot of, it's gonna be a lot of, you know, a lot of brass going on, a lot of like, you know, 
moments and there's gonna be moments of like just piano and it's like oh this is this is sad and then but this movie totally just just flips that idea on its on its head and just says no we're gonna we're gonna totally choose music that we want for each scene we we don't really care how it looks um aesthetically or sounds aesthetically we want we want it to be kind of a shock to the senses and that's how i felt i i I appreciated that it made it made an already entertaining movie this that much more kind of unpredictable and i i like that yeah me too um i didn't expect the rebels to you know like join forces with constantine i was not expecting that i thought yes but you know we were running out of time (laughs) no yeah truly truly i think they did i don't want to say the word waste because I think the movie is a good runtime. I think the two hour, just under two hours is good for this, this movie, but you see why war movies take the liberty of being two and a half or three hours, because there's a lot to explain, a lot to show. And you want to give, give that, that proper perspective. And I think, like you said, I think it's a little hasty at times, but then again, that's just, that's how quickly they have to make decisions. You know, that's true. Um, And it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a mini Mad Max going on. You got kind of a chase going on. So you, you really, whether, you know, you got to like kill this guy and move on, or you got to take him on your side and move on. But the, the uh, Constantine, you know, becoming buddies with these guys, essentially these, these Afghan dudes who are, you know, waving guns around and, you know, trying to kill these guys. It's like, it was, um, so movie, so movie, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was so, it was so, so much filmmaking going on there where that's when the audience really gets a chance to kind of be like, Oh, all right. Now, now I know who I'm rooting for. Like, let's go. I'm with these two fuckers, you know, I'm, I'm with them and I want those Russian guys dead, you know, and that that's where we're at. And you finally get a moment to just, to like realize that and say it out loud about halfway through the film. That's, that's a cool moment. It reminded me of T'Challa and M'Baku teaming up to take out Killmonger and Black Panther. Oh, perfect call. Perfect call. Yeah. Oh man. I love me some two guys teaming up when you, when you didn't expect it. I love me some of that. That's a good trope. The enemy of my enemy is my friend is one of the best things in mostly action movies that I look for. It's the fucking best. Yeah. Back next week's movie is going to have that too. (laughs) Hey, hell yeah. Oh yeah. True. (laughs) Shit. Uh, Cool. Did you think the grenades were a little light in this movie? For sure. The grenades, the, the <laughs> and, uh, and at times seemed like, uh, the, the folks who were carrying them or handling them just were not careful enough. <laughs> it was kind of like, you know, I was like watching, but it, it would be like if someone was in the room with me and they're like, just playing with a gun. I'm like, well, maybe you should put that, you know, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be handling that so much, you know, that's just how I felt at, at times. But, it, but again, that's just kind of like where you're at. That's the environment. It's just, well, yeah, every step, every step is scary. Yeah. Well, when Constantine, like, you know, moved his head and the grenade fell under the rock and it was just kind of like, and like barely moved his leg, despite the fact that his leg was right next to the explosion. I feel like that still would have killed him. I, yeah, I, I, well, I feel like if the grenade would have gone off right under his head, he wouldn't have died because of that explosion. You know what I mean? Be- because of, no, no, no. I agree with you, but in the movie, the explosion is small. Okay. So, had it happened under his head, he probably wouldn't have died. <laughs> Maybe. But, yeah. but he should die because it's a grenade, and it's like two feet away from him. So, 
yeah that didn't make much sense to me um right when that happened i was like how the fuck is he getting out of this like this isn't this isn't unless he throws this thing there's no way he gets out of this you know yeah it was just funny because like a week ago i watched hacksaw ridge again and there's a scene where a grenade is thrown and andrew garfield's character jumps on it with a hat and it blows him away like 20 feet and then this one grenade goes off like right next to the guy small muffled explosion and he just is like not even bothered by it it's crazy it it was actually kind of like the explosion in monsters inc when they finally you know i was just thinking about that batter down the hatches and uh you know get that little sock yeah (laughs) i love that that's one of my favorite bits on monsters inc oh my god so good yeah. I saw somebody had made a meme that like if those guys were handling COVID nineteen, it would have been over in a week. Twenty three nineteen. We got a twenty three nineteen. Oh my god. <laughs> Poor George. <laughs> yeah, I'm killing it today. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, but masterpiece. <laughs> so I love the kind of journey of. Descal and his people how they get to the pass and there's this just giant fucking canyon blocking their way and that moment where they stand there like fuck what next what do we do and <laughs> for them like for rescue to come and then for Descal to be like no 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 we're not taking the rescue we're doing this so get the fuck back in the tank god I've never seen anybody work harder to alienate his men more than this dude yeah, and for what for like what's what's the reasoning for you, man? Like you you really are hung up on Constantine that much, you know? Or, or I don't know. Well, no, I think at that point, like he talks about how he was, you know, he was taking out tanks in Stalingrad when he was a kid and how he remembers the Nazis and how he, you know, the Russians are trying to maintain order in this world and only, you know, he's been put in charge of this tank crew, and this is his moment to, you know, give glory to, I think what, that eighties. So Gorbachev? Soviet. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just it's just personal hubris and just also a lot of PTSD. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I I thought a lot about uh George C. Scott's performance as Patton in, yeah. in nineteen seventies Patton just he, he's evil Patton. Yeah, I, I I'm gonna be on that field. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Exactly. You're gonna get me out in that battle. I ah, this is what I was born to do, you know. That's a pretty good George C. Scott. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I I for sure thought of him a lot. And I, I think Scott has set the bar for war movies as far as, you know, commanding kind of douchebag generals. Like he, he sets the, he sets the bar for me, for, from what I've seen, I just, there's, there's no man who's been as intimidating or as frightening or as annoying all at the same time as him. As his 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 role his role is Patton, and you know, that comes down to fucking Coppola's screenplay for that movie, how it's just so perspective driven and so gray, and never allows you to totally root for the guy, but never hate him either. And that's that's genius. Yeah, for sure, definitely. And he brought that same level of storytelling to The Godfather. Yeah, to the whole Corleone. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's. <laughs> That's really special that he's able to to he, he obviously has a has a has a gift in that like like Reynolds has a gift in um revenge stories. Oh yeah. So with this, you know, broke ass tank 
no ammo, no water, no brake fluid because fucker kept drinking it. Um, they just turn around and the two other guys are like, we're going to die out here. And Pascal's like, then we'll die for Mother Russia, asshole. <laughs> like, it's this is a suicide mission now. <laughs> and it's just bonkers. And I love that they just like they become the hunted. It's so cool. Uh, oh, God. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll never, ever forget the shot through the binoculars. And you just see these these people just fucking running, you know, and Constantine's like at the front, like, motherfucker. You know? And you just you can't help. You can't help but like get chills. And you're like, I want to run next to them. Let's go. <laughs> and, and that's that's inspirational. That's fun. It's, it's like a really, really powerful moment. Kind, 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 again, kind of like in the MCU, you know, on Endgame, when you, you're like, oh, this is badass. You know, when a lot of guys are running at once for one common goal, that shit looks cool. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. And then it, it is a satisfying conclusion. Constantine, like, Molotov's the tank and traps him in there. And at first I'm thinking, like, these fuckers are burning alive. And I'm like, they could end it right here, and that would be just the the best. Well, and, and then and then you have these these Russians are like, what do we do? Do we sacrifice ourselves, like, yeah. <laughs> and kill and kill them too? Yeah. Pascal's like got a grenade and he's ready to do it, and the other two guys are just like, what the fuck's wrong with you? No, <laughs> putting the pin back. It's yeah, great. I surrender. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, epic. And then when they finally when the, like Constantine begs for their mercy, and the Khan obliges, he tells him, you know, go they became really like comrades, Khan and Constantine. It's weird. And uh, Constantine says like my favorite line in the movie to Daskal, how is it that we're the Nazis this time? Yeah, mm. man. And you can tell in Daskal's eyes, he's like, wait a minute, what? Like he has a moment of doubt. It's just, oh God. Yeah, this is such an underrated, underappreciated movie. I'm really glad I know about this now. Yeah, same, same. I, I feel a certain way about you know. I, I just start smiling when I when I when I get to experience a movie that I'm like nobody else knows about this and yeah, I, not nobody. You know, our, our boy Nick does, and I'm sure there's people out there you know who would who would be you know who would go to bat for it because like you said the the audience score the the few letterbox reviews they're all positive. They're all positive. They're all like eight and above, eighty five percent, ninety percent. You know, whatever. They're all like high passing grades basically no one's just like this movie's mediocre this movie's fine this movie's whatever if you watch it you like it it's basically that simple it's kind yeah. of amazing <laughs> yeah and in the end it's the women who fuck them up i love that oh. the women oh, who yeah. been oh, on yeah. the outskirts of the story are just like motherfucker you die it <laughs> just ripped us all apart they come well, back yeah. to the con with his bloodied clothes and blood all over them that was the best. Yeah, that was the best. That was what the best. What the fuck did they and, do to him? And not only that, but they they fucking blow that fucking hillside off, like basically a mountain to where these rocks start piling up, you know, to where the tank can't do shit. And what was that main lady's name? She was incredible. I was like, that that woman, <laughs> that that woman, uh, you know, that's a ride or die right there. She will she will kill for you. <laughs> Oh, oh my man. god, that's fantastic! Um, here I'm looking up her name now. Yeah, I cannot remember her name in the in the film, and I obviously don't know the actress's name. Uh, uh, the actress's name is Shoshi Marciano. She played Sharina. Yes, yeah, Sharina. Yes, yes. And yeah, god, yeah. From the beginning, she's like, "I'm gonna kill these sons of bitches with or without you." <laughs> it's 
Oh, yeah, I love that. I love that that's the story you should have been paying attention to the whole time because in the end, they're the ones who fuck up the Russians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it is it is kind of kind of like that throughout. Like, be like pay attention, pay attention to each character's actions because there's only there's so few characters in the film, but if you if you lose sight of one of them, you lose sight of the whole chase. So I yeah, I think there's some some really really amazing stuff happening there within the screenplay and just the the direction altogether. And in the end it does, you know, seeing Daskal's just bloodied clothes and knowing that they wrecked him. It's too much for Constantine. He go he goes home. He gets airlifted by the Soviets. He's like, I can't do this anymore. And just fucks off. I love that. In the end, like the cons, you know, come back. And he's like, no. <laughs> Cause he knows like he's next. Like those yes. are not going to let him get away with this. Mm. Oh man. Yeah. He's pretty careful. And that shot of him riding off with the electric guitar as he's just kind of holding his gun, you know, and just kind of riding off. It was like, oh, this is fucking kick ass, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that helicopter reminded me, you know, again, I'll bring up that that first bit. So at one point, you know, like you said, there's the rescue team, the helicopter rescue team and these Russians come in. They're like, all right, you know, we're going to save you guys. And, then, you know, like you said, they don't take it. The tank keeps moving and. Later on, those guys drink water. The people in the helicopter drink water that was poisoned by the other Russian characters. So the Russians were poisoned by Russians. And the fact that Constantine gets to ride off in a helicopter and those guys don't <laughs> 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 was also another, another nice touch. This movie does what a lot of movies that I love do, where it just keeps kind of playing on top of it itself. Yeah. It keeps kind of, it kind of layers itself without, it doesn't need any outside references or outside. It just kind of keeps playing on top of its, its own movie, its own script. Yeah. And I, I think, I think we got something special here. And I think rewatching this movie will, will make me fall in love with it even more. You know, that idea of, you know, kind of a movie folding back into itself and referencing itself constantly. I call that the Edgar Wright effect. Yeah. Perfectly said. Yeah. Cause he does that shit all the time. Like his Cornetto trilogy is nothing but that. Yeah. It's, it's, I wish I could write like that. I really do. That is the coolest way to write a story. Just constantly like building your own little world like that. It's fucking great. Just bam, 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 bam. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, folding, folding is such a good like image of it. Cause it isn't, it isn't, it isn't reaching or taking from something else. Like, like even some movies I love, you know, it, it might be taken, you know, some influence from something else. And it's very clear that it's kind of copying that or it's doing this. I, I, I don't see that here. I see, I see folds. I see it folding over itself over and over and kind of staying true to itself over and over. And for that, you know, for, for that, I, that's why I give it an eight out of 10, you know, like it, it gets a solid rating from me and could go up because, because it does that over and over. Do I, do I not love that the actors aren't doing Russian accents? Of course I wish they were, but it does not take away from the story. It really doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's it's actually kind of amusing to hear just, yeah. you know, George yeah. Zinza yeah. going like, you know, they're fucking rebels, like in this super like northeast accent. It's funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. You're tankers. Yeah. <laughs> You're not loyal to Mother Russia. Like it's just goddamn. I <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I too give this an eight. I enjoyed this a lot. <laughs> yeah. One of one of my favorite lines from Kaminsky is you crazy? He shoot us right out of the sky. <laughs> uh, Beautiful. 
Um, just it just sounds like a young, like American, you know, little soldier. <laughs> this is uh, a solid war film with an emotional backbone. I did not expect, and that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. It definitely has like yeah, the emotional part of it, and some some amazing action sequences and you know tropes that you see in war movies that that are that are really cool and the you know again the folding over itself and kind of becoming this chase movie that it's really cool it's doing a lot within two hours and i'm excited to watch it again someday uh thank you nick i I really i want more recommendations because this went well (laughs) yeah definitely guys if you want us to review a movie that you like love to death just send us an email send us a post on social media and we'll get to it as quickly as we can yeah, for sure. And, and now, you know, with with how we have more teammates, more members uh, moving around, we can do even more movies, more recommendations. We can tackle more stuff and just throw them out there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got two film guys and facts for you. This trivia was very sparse, so I had to take what I could get. Uh, number one, the fire commands and terminology used by the tank crew in combat are the same as used by U.S. Army tank crews. This was to add military flavor to the movie, give it a realistic feel. So this is how the the U.S. tank crews operate, not Russian. Yeah, yeah, it's that's that's what they had. I don't think they could be like, "Hey, Russia, do you think we could we could find out how you guys operate your tanks in the late '80s?" I don't think that's happening. (laughs) You imagine, like, holy shit! So you know, they're still recovering from us beating their asses in the 1980 Olympics. So you know. The story of this movie would be how a film crew was, you know, disappeared and found in pieces in Ukraine. Like that would be the, the story of the beast of war. I guess. Yes. yes. <laughs> Number two, when the film was started at Columbia pictures, David Putnam was head of the studio. By the time it was released, Putnam was out and Don Steele was head of the studio. As a result, the film was released in a small number of theaters under the title, the beast. So I think this was a he- change of studio thing where the original uh, head was like, we're calling this the Beast of War. And the new studio head was like, no, we're calling it the Beast. And then by then, you know, production had already happened. So they just did what they could. I bet that confusion is what fucked up this film's box office. Similar to, uh, you know, Birds of Prey and how that kind of just like had no idea what to call itself when it should have just been like the Margot Robbie movie. <laughs> <laughs> call it Harley Quinn. For fuck's sake. Yeah, yeah. yeah, No kidding. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you and I should take over just titling movies these, you know, these days because folks folks are running out of ideas. Folks don't know what the fuck they're doing. It's, (laughs) I don't get it. You get put ahead of studio, suddenly all your creativity and originality just flies out of you like a demon smoke and you're just, you're a fucking worthless suit who doesn't know what the fuck he's doing anymore. It's crazy. Sounds like all the people that DC have hired. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one of them. <laughs> My God. Just losing, losing their souls. <laughs> so before we close out, um, I'd like to make an announcement. Um, Austin will be taking an indefinite hiatus from the Filmgasm podcast to focus his energies on Oscar Sunday and the sneak preview. You know, don't want to be stretched too thin. And we've got enough backup people to kind of redo, like kind of redesign the way we do the Filmgasm podcast now. Um, in his place, frequent flyers, Josh Allred and Julie Cervantes will be trading co-host duties on this podcast going forward. So it'll be Josh one week, then Julie the next week, then back to Josh and so on, starting with Julie for next week's episode. But don't fret. 
You'll still be able to hear Austin's unique take on film on our other two podcasts, Oscar Sunday on Sundays and the sneak preview on Mondays. Thanks for listening to the show thus far. Things are about to change, but change is a good thing. Can't wait to see what weird fun films Josh and Julie bring to the table. And Austin will pop in here on out, you know, randomly on big, you know, significant <clears throat> things, anything that kind of catches his eye. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like, you know, here's an example, right? Um, I had the last one I was on was um, a pretty depressing episode, Song of the South. Yeah. That was episode 117. And then I was not on, I was not on 118, which was Bill and Ted. Yeah. Uh, and then 119 was The Mummy, and that was Josh. So we're, we started to get into the swing of that, you know, move that, move that direction where <clears throat> Julie and Josh will really take over, you know, this show with you. Um, you know, it's, it's a little sad because this is the, you know, this is the show that we started with. Uh, for a while, this was the only show. Uh, until last June. So there was, there was over a year where you and I were just doing this show and, you know, filmgasm, just the title, the name of it and what I know it brings to my life. um, I'm going to miss like dearly um, because it's allowed me to watch films. Like I brought up like itchy, the killer and the brood and rewatch movies like alien and we've, we've done stuff like, you know, back in 2019, you know, like the lighthouse and, Midsommar and us and had such a blast doing that stuff and experiencing, you know, horror movies and genre movies uh, through, through this, this show. But I think where I'm, uh, where I'm best suited and where my, my, my skill as far as taking on stuff and kind of talking about it and and, and making some content, I think I, uh, my heart lies with, with, you know, Oscar nominated films with kind of the, you know, critically acclaimed stuff, right, that people continue to talk about. Movies the opposite of The Beast of War, basically. Um, I, I like going down that road and finding out if people were right. I like challenging the Oscars. I like, I like doing all that stuff. Um, and the sneak preview, I like current stuff a lot. And I think this year is going to be very, very special. I think people have no idea what we're in for in 2021. I don't think people realize how many good movies are going to come out just like that, just like that. It's not going to be looked at as an experience, like going to, going to the theater. They're just going to be happening. Good movies are just going to be happening in your home all the time. And I, I, I want to be a part of that, that journey. And so the decision had to be made, you know, and you and I talked about it for a long time and just kind of like what's best for our team. And this is what's best. This is what's best moving forward. You know, I have a, I have a two-year-old daughter that she's about to be two uh, next month. And, you know, of course, I want to spend as much time as, with her as I can and uh, while also exploring my movie, you know, fandom and my love for it. So it's about finding a balance and being realistic, realistic about it. So, yeah, like, like you said, I'll still be on two shows a week and I'll always be hosting Oscar Sunday. Uh, yeah. That won't ever that won't ever change. So I'm, I'm very excited to see what Josh and Julie really bring to the table as they're going to be consistently on. And, and I'm excited for our listeners to really get to know them. Yeah, uh, as voices as voices for filmgasm. I know Josh has been on quite a few now, you know, over a handful, and Julie's Julie's working her way to that, and we're just going to speed that process up and give them, you know, just kind of some leeway, give them some some creative space, and I, I'm super excited for our team. I think it's good for everybody, and I'm really excited for you 
because now, you know, you're going to be talking to all kinds of different voices and not just hear mine all the time. So <laughs> that's good. It'll, it'll give some variety to the show. That's for sure. But you know, the heart of this whole thing, you know, is me and you talking movies. We started this whole thing with that and that's evolved into three shows now. And thankfully that's not stopping. It's just only happening twice a week now. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And, and I, I just do not think that this show will falter whatsoever. I think filmgasm is only going to get stronger because you're going to have people who are really focused on this stuff Julie and Josh and, and yourself who are really focused and really passionate about it and are going to bring their, bring that jazz to it. So, yeah. And I know that it'll, it'll free me up to be more focused on Oscar Sunday and, uh, and the current films that are happening. So it, it, yeah, it's good for everybody. And they're kind of uh, the balance of our team. So really yeah. excited. You know, who knows what the future, you know, can bring as we, as we keep growing and we keep pushing and keep watching more movies. Yeah. I'm incredibly proud of Josh and Julie's, uh, dedication and just constant interest and you know bringing me ideas all the time like they they love this i'm so glad i found them and uh yeah just i can't wait to do this with them this is going to be really cool yeah they're both they're both they've both been a blessing in my life um you know like me uh you josh julie and then um two other contributors we have uh juan carter and andrew bachman we've been doing you know we do like we have a group text you know and we do like movie drafts and i've just like without you know really meeting josh or really meeting julie in person you know like haven't seen them you know since we started talking together about movies on filmgasm and i i feel like they're my friends and i you know wouldn't say that without believing it and that's really cool you know that we can kind of move into that place and do this with movies you know, that that's that's the that's the base of it. Like you said, it's it's just talking movies is is kind of what we're we're all about, and to bring people along on that journey is is really special and really fun, and they also teach us a lot of stuff too. So it's 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 a beautiful thing all around. Yeah, the best thing about this podcast has been the friends I've gotten out of it, and I'll cherish that for the rest of my life. I really will. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Uh, well, let's talk about what's, what we're going to be doing next week. Uh, gonna be a wacky episode um, an arctic expedition become uh becomes trapped in a war between two alien races and must stop both of these monsters from reaching populated areas no we are not mm-hmm. redoing the thing julie and i are diving into 2004's <laughs> alien versus predator <laughs> sure to be a fun rewatch and a great episode it's a really bad movie but i'll be damned if it's not fun <laughs> hell yeah exactly mm. Um, AVP is available to stream on HBO Max if you want to watch it before the episode airs. Um, don't miss 1984's Places in the Heart on Oscar Sunday this weekend and another sneak preview the following Monday. In the meantime, try your hardest not to crush any insurgents with a tank tread. And if you're going to betray a comrade, you better make damn sure you kill him so he doesn't come back and fuck up your tank. See you next Wednesday. Mm-hmm.